I want you to know, we did not plan this, okay? She was, <laughs> she was, it just, I like to say great minds think alike and so apparently do ours. So, <laughs> but she was out of the house at the incredible sunrise service, which once again, there's just an anointing on those things. I'm telling you, John just rocked it. Uh, there was huge rain, you know, as you were coming in the door and everything, none for this thing. We've literally had it rain as we were walking down to the service, stop for the service, and start again after the service. <laughs> okay? So it's been incredible. So uh, I just want to thank the people that did that, John and Roger and, and Greg, of course, and of course, my beautiful bride. Okay? <laughs> And Kelly, of course, and I do want to say that there's a lot of work that goes into Eastern, so I want to thank, I'm going to forget people, but you know, Josh Morris and all of the stuff that he's been taking care of, you're going to wait till you see what gets to be done here. I want to say that Scott Fisher, and I don't know where you are, Scott Fisher, but man, I owe you so much, because wait till you see what this young man did. Uh, that we get to get the benefit of. It was amazing. And Adam Obonsky for helping him with that. And Josh Foreman for helping us come up with the ideas and so on. It's just, it really does take, I hate to say it takes a village, because that phrase kind of got, you know, spoiled a little bit politically. And I don't mean because of a deference one way or the other. But the bottom line is it really does take a family. It really does take a family to do what we do. So I just want to thank you, want to love you, and... All right, are you ready? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. I was good, but can I? I want to do something. Okay, now watch. Okay, come on. So he is risen is us saying it to each other, but you are risen. All right. So you are risen. You are risen. You are risen. Big, you are risen. You are risen in me. All right. Thank you. Love you. Happy honey. Easter. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you guys for the clock. Uh, I hope you put that in the recording too, just because I want everybody to see what a great place this is. Uh, so, and welcome if you're online with us today. Uh, I am just so excited about what God laid on our hearts months ago. And then has just been unfolding right up until this very week where it just went over the moon. So in order to get us where we go, we're going to look at a scripture that we use often. And that is this idea that God can be seen in everything that he made. And the way that it says it in scripture is, you might want to check my clicker. Uh, for what can be known about God is plain to us. Because God has shown it to us. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. Eternal power, his nature, his very character has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So we are all without excuse. Now here's what's being said. This is super important. God gave us real free will. We really do have free will. Now, now if you're God and you're really giving somebody free will, here's something you can't do. You can't be there present with them because they don't have free will about you if you're standing there. <laughs> I can't deny that Adam is sitting here, right? So what God, what God does is, is what he's looking for ultimately is relationship. So if you're worshiping God because you can see him and like it's really stupid not to worship him if you can see him, right? What kind of a relationship is that? Let, let me put it this way. It's a little bit like a relationship you have with your boss, right? You see him at the Christmas party or whatever, and depending on how close you are, but, you know, you, you have to act deferentially. You're, this isn't free and open. This isn't real. You have to sort of play the game, right? So this is what God's trying to avoid. And the way that he did it was, is he said, I'm going to be completely invisible. You, you cannot touch, taste, smell, see. You're not going to be able to do that. But here's what I am going to do. Two things. One, I'm going to be in everything that ever happens in your life. And if you want to see it, you can. If you want to deny it and explain it some other way, you can. But I'm going to be in everything that happens in your life. Now, that alone ought to be enough, but God did a second thing. He said, not only that, 
But watch the way that the, the message says it because I, I love this wording here. The basic reality of God is plain. Plain enough, but plain. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't. Eternal power, for instance. The mystery of his divine being. Nobody has any good excuse. You see what he's done? He's saying, if you will take a thoughtful look, you'll see. You'll understand. It will be plain, obvious. So we're going to do something today. We could, we could just to show you on, a, on, a, on another level, we're not doing this today. We've done this before on Easter and other times. But I just want to show you how this works out. For example, you look at that picture. That's a Hubble telescope picture. Now, when you see that, what can you say about God? Go ahead. Yell out some things. Awesome, I love that. Exactly, awesome is incredible. What else? Amazing. Amazing. Beautiful. I love that one. That's the one that gets me when I see that. You know what I mean? You know, huge, right? I mean, this is, this isn't, he didn't break a sweat doing this. <laughs> you know, it was like he labored really hard. You know what I mean? He said, let there be, and there was. You see this? This is easy for him. Which ought to tell us how big he is, how magnificent he is, how glorious he is. But, but there's so many different ways we can do this. Here, here'll be another example. I just think about it. You, I've said this before, but let me just say it again because it always strikes me. You do realize that most of the animals on the earth are not foodies. <laughs> right? They don't, like, decide what kind of food they'd like tonight. And what restaurant might deliver that food in a particular fashion to make them really go crazy? You see it? Animals eat. What, and thank God, you, know, you, would, you would know that God was a provider just by the fact that, a, that you know, a, a fish can eat another fish. Right? You would know that he's, or plankton or whatever. That's their diet, right? And you would say, thank you, God, for being a provider. So what does it say that with man, he lets us have this cornucopia? All kinds of different things. Tasty, delicious. Our eyes even light up. Everything about it. You see this? This isn't just provision. This is love. This is a depth of care for. A depth of him pouring out. That is, yeah. Yeah, abundance. Cornucopia. Spilling out splaying out. Even in a world that's corrupted and there's problems, there's still an unbelievable amount of bounty to be found in the world. And that's what God's saying. This is me caring for you extravagantly. Right? So this is cool what we can do by thoughtfully looking. So here's what we're going to thoughtfully look at today. Something that is extremely close to all of us our lives. In particular, what we're going to do is there's, there's conception, the womb, there's childhood, there's, you know, that period. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Then there's, and there's, and what we're going to see is there's a pattern in life that God put in there so that we could look at it carefully, thoughtfully, take some time on it. And when we do, what you're going to see today is a depth of relationship that he desires with us that i got to tell you, as a Christian for 40 years, you'll hear me in a voice note later on go, oh my God. A depth of what he wants, the kind of relationship that he wants that he has made abundantly clear in the pattern of life. That I don't know that I can ever see my relationship with him the same again. I honestly don't. It's transcendent. So that's where we're headed today. Who's our prayer? We forgot to get a prayer. Well then, Adam, you're our prayer, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and you know what? What, a, what an appropriate thing. Adam, 
I don't know if you guys know how much this guy slaves around here and all of the things that Adam does in order to make this church work. And I want to say something about him. The reason why he's here is not because he works hard. All of our staff works hard. The reason why he's here is because he carries this church in his heart. He loves you. He loves this place and what God is doing here. And I'm telling you, the things that he does and the way that he does them is inspiring. So thank you, Adam. Would you lift up this sermon? Would you lift up another church too? Uh, God, we are just, um, I'm just grateful, God, to be here this morning. God, to be able to just worship you and worship you with this family. So God, we pray as, as you've unfolded a sermon that you have for this church, God, that we hear it. God, we hear your words as Kurt speaks. God, may you just speak through him. May he just be a vessel for you, God. Thank you, Jesus. And may this message um, just change who we are and how we look at you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Um, God, I lift up Branches Church in Woodenville, God, as they launch. May your Amen. favor just be on that Amen. church, God, and that city. God, as Tim and Don, I just pray for them, God, as they launch and they follow your lead, God. May you, um, may you just bless that church, God, and may Amen. Woodenville be changed because of that church. God. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. That's a new church plant, and, and this is technically their first day. They've met a couple of times. I want you to know I don't have this, but I wouldn't mess around too much to get it back, okay? Uh, if you think you might cause a problem by trying to get it back for me, don't worry about it. If you can get it back, though, thank you, okay? All right. So, <clears throat> in order to get this pattern of life down right, here's one thing that I need you to do for me. I need you to, remember, I need you to understand that there's a difference between what God intended and what life is from for most of us, for all of us, to some degree and to some to really difficult degrees. In other words, there was this intended life that God had for people, an intended pattern of life that was beautiful and good and there was nothing bad in it. Nobody really gets through life without having things that aren't beautiful and are bad. That was not God's intention. It is a reality which he deals with, and we'll see that. So it's not that he just closes his eyes to it. But what I want us to do is, if you had a particularly brutal bringing up, and we get to childhood, and we're talking about the glories of the childhood that God intended, and you did not have that kind of childhood, I'd ask you to give grace. I'd ask you to understand that, thankfully, there are many other people who did, and that God is causing all things to work together, even in your life. So there is redemption, even resurrection to be found. We'll find out the difference between that in a bit. But I want you to understand, and I want you to just have grace for me. And there's, in particular, I want to say something. I'm about to show an image of a baby in the womb, because that's one of the phases of life. And there are women in here that have had miscarriages, couples in here that have had miscarriages. And it, I'm just warning you right now. I want you to get emotionally prepared for this. You see what I'm saying? And I want you to understand, you know, the beauty. I, I think the miracle of birth is that it ever happens. Okay? I mean, it's just unbelievable, all the stuff that has to happen for that to take place. Okay? So it, it's, uh, you catch where I'm going here? I need you to, to just, sometimes I'll be saying now in a perfect world, and I want you to go to, yeah, the thing that God intended, as opposed to the thing that you might have experienced with parents or life or all kinds of stuff. You get it? Okay? So we're going to head in now, and, I, and I, want you to, I want you to just see, this is, remember, there's a physical reality in our life that God is intending to communicate a deeper spiritual truth. So we're going to look at the physical reality, and I'm going to talk over it so that we can be starting to understand the deeper spiritual truth that God is trying to show us. Okay? Once again, Scott Fisher. Thank you. Sound? I want you to think about the womb. I want you to think about what that is. This is a place of one with, of literally being in, being shaped, being formed, right? That's what's happening right here. Now, I want, you to, I want you to process something. What's that trying to communicate? What's God trying to communicate to us? When we see, these are real pictures, by the way. These are not animation and so on. These are images from inside the womb about children. Are those just incredible or what? And here's what I want you to see. 
we're in God. Before you ever were, before you were ever conceived, before there was ever an egg and so on, since before the foundation of the world, before there was even a universe and a creation, you were in God. This is what he's trying to communicate. You're in him. And think about it now. There is a relationship, isn't there, between baby in the womb and mother, right? There is a relationship. But think about the nature of the relationship. It's not like the baby's conscious of it. Well, we're in God since before the foundation of the world, but we have no consciousness of that, do we? Do you remember that? And yet it's true. You've been in him forever. You don't have any consciousness of it, but now think about it from God's standpoint. A lot what we're going to do today is try to think about things from God's standpoint. Does he know you? How many times in Scripture does it say he knows you? And he knew you before there ever was a you. <laughs> before anything. I just, uh, this image right here just blows me away. I hope your mirror neurons are firing and you're going, that is just so cool. <laughs> but what I want you to do is I want you to understand that that's what God is feeling about you. That's what he's always, it wasn't when you were conceived that he started feeling that. It's from, it wasn't even a moment, in t it was forever. You were always in him. I hope that does something for you right there. I hope that makes you feel cared for. <laughs> I hope that makes you feel love. I hope, you see, we look at our lives because of all the stuff, and then we think God must feel a certain way about us. How does a mother always feel about her baby in a perfect world? Right? This is what God feels for you. This is the truth. But now watch, that relationship which was unconscious from our side, but totally known from his. God didn't want it to stay there, did he? He wanted it to come to life. So what he did in the scripture was the Garden of Eden. Okay? A place of lushness. Now think about what the garden is. The garden is a place of absolute beauty. It's a place of unbelievable provision. This is a place where there was no work to get it to grow. It was just there. If you were hungry, you reached out and ate. <laughs> you didn't have to do any work. It was a place of complete and utter protection. There was no death. You see it? The Garden of Eden, what's he trying to communicate there? In me. Now look, you're not in him anymore in a sense. Right? There's, there's a new life that's there. But what he's trying to say is provision, protection, me. That's what the garden was. That's what he intended for you always to live in that place with him where he was utterly providing for you, utterly protecting you. There was no death and there was no four-letter word work. See it? No sweat of the brow. Right? Now, isn't that precisely, remember drawing parallels here between our life's journey and what God is trying to show us. Isn't that exactly parallel to there comes a time when it's time to be born. You're inside the mother and it's time to, to meet. <laughs> to come to a new consciousness on the, on the part of the child. But then look at what you got in childhood, in a perfect world. Look at this. It's joy. It's provision. What child is... Now, in a, in a broken world, children are working for the living. But not in the perfect world God created. Children aren't supposed to work for their food. It's provided for them. It's, you don't even have to wear a helmet. <laughs> right? It's joy. It's fun. It's safety. It's life. It's in, and look at the nature of the relationship now. It is, it is all about. Right? You couldn't you run to each other. Right? You just can't even... Right? This is what God wanted. Now, I want you to see this one here. 
because this isn't really childhood anymore, is it? This is, this is, a, this is a guy who's actually got, done what? He's gone to war where he might have been killed. And I want, to just start, I want us to start thinking about the difference between the relationship that you have as a child to your parent and the relationship that you have as a child of a parent when you're no longer a child. See? When you're a child, what are you? Let's, let's, be, let's be clear. In a perfect world, you're innocent. You don't know about good and bad. You don't, right? What you know is, is all good. God has provided, your parents have provided. There is love, you get to hug them whenever you want. You go out and you explore, but you always know exactly how far behind you they are, right? And the parent is letting you grow, is letting you do these things, but protecting, overwatching, over right? Not in a helicopter mom way, but in a good way. Perfect world. I wasn't looking at anybody when I said that, by the way. <laughs> But do you see it? You see, childhood is the garden. That, those are the two that sync up. This is what he wanted to communicate to us, this place of protection, of provision, of love, of relationship. But look at the nature of the relationship because it is, even though it's no longer completely unconscious, it's not fully knowing, is it? You only know one thing in a perfect world. Good. That's it. You don't know bad. You don't know evil. The, the thing about that soldier, the reason why we put that clip in there, why I left that clip in there more accurately, is because when I saw it, I went, even right now in the story, we need to start realizing that there comes a time when there's a different kind of consciousness, of awareness, of what's around, of what is. See it? So. I need my glasses. Sorry. I just want to make sure I don't get this out of order because I don't have the monitor. Um, yeah, that's what I thought. In psychology, there's what, something that they call a phase of life that goes right with puberty when hormones are being released, and everybody knows that that's the change, right? It, before hormones are released, it's all about parents and this beautiful world and everything else and then something starts happening inside of you and it's disconcerting for women they call it the Ophelia complex where your self-worth and your sense of things just plummets to the floor and all kinds of things happen it's a result of the fall but the bottom line is is what we've got is but the boys go through it too where there's just this you're starting to understand that you are something different right that you are what they call it is individualization and what it is, is it's, you have to separate from the parent. Now, we think of it because of a fallen world and what happens there in primarily sin terms. But I want you to understand, God intended there to be individualization. Without the fall. But he intended there to be this individualization because what he was doing was, is he, just, just understand it, he has this relationship with you as a child, but there's something else that he wants too. And that's what we're going after quite a bit today. Because what I want you to see is, is what happens is there comes a time when you're individualizing, particularly in this world. See, before your orientation was all God in the garden or, or as childhood, all parents. And you just wanted to please them. Again, perfect world, right? But in that perfect world, children just wanting to please their parents and all about their parents and so on. But then in that individualization, when the hormones kick in and you become more aware of self, there is this you start being able to do what? Choose to go your own way. Not the way that your parents had for you, not the way that God had for you. You choose, you can start to choose to go an entirely different way. You actually have, because of the hormones, urges, desires that show up, things that happen that, that, that tempt you. See this? And you start to go through a separation time. This is a time when parents and children, right? They, the world is a dangerous place, okay? It wasn't all simple, but you know what? There's a lot of stuff in the world, and, and it looks attractive. It looks like it's fun. If you've never done this, if you don't understand the long term of it, why, that looks fun. 
people just enjoying themselves and being together and having a great time and so on. So you're just enjoying yourself, but what you begin to realize when you're individualizing is there's a separation that is causing you to break away from other people. You're getting estranged from everybody. You see it? You're starting to end up in a very real sense here. Now understand there's a good thing that God's trying to do in that that has to do with you recognizing who you really are, who he made you to be. But understand in a fallen world what happens is an awful lot of other stuff, right? An awful lot of God had a way for you that was glorious and great and fantastic and beautiful and you chose to go another way. I, I, I want to say people who are... Um, Jesus' name. People who are more advanced in years, was that a good euphemism? Okay. People who have lived a while, a long time. You experience, I like it. One of the things that you'll do is, is that you recognize that there's something broken in those choices that you made back then. When you made them, they didn't even seem like they do years, years, and years later. And you look back and you see something that has happened with that. I want you to see something here. You become aware of a good and an evil and in a long-term fashion. Watch this. Watch this. This is Satan. Now, when I watch this, here's the key to what Satan does with you. He doesn't lie to you in the way that we lie, where we just lie. What he does is he takes the truth and he just twists it in a way that's going to cause you to die. He steals and kills and destroys you by saying the truth. Think about Jesus and Satan in the wilderness. Satan wasn't telling him things that were untrue. They were true. It's just that there was something else to it that was known by Jesus, but that wasn't known by Adam and Eve in their naivete, in the ignorance, the blissful ignorance of childhood. Right? And so what happens is God knows that your eyes will be opened. Okay, now let me make it clear. That's true. It's also true, as soon as you eat it, you'll be more like God. That's true. Satan knows this because God gave him a part of himself, and Satan, being more like God, said, I'm like God, worship me. So he knows that this is true. As soon as you eat it up, you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Can I just say something? When you only know good... And you start to realize that there's something outside the garden walls. When you only know your protected family and you start realizing that there's another world out there too. When you first look at it, you don't think about it in terms of good and evil, do you? It's attractive because it's something new. It's interesting. It seems like it's going to be fun. There's something to it, right? So we make choices to go towards that. Now, when you're very experienced... And you're looking back at that moment where you chose to do that. I'm just old enough to know that you'd give almost anything to go back and not make the choice that you made. A lot of people have lived long enough to know what I'm saying. It doesn't make your life miserable because you screwed up and there's nothing God could ever do. He works all things together for good, right? He can take you all kinds of amazing places, but the bottom line is... There still is a problem with the choice that God made there. And, and again, to show you, at that moment, their eyes were open, just like he said they would be. What the bummer is, is they suddenly felt shame. They didn't know that was coming. At their nakedness, they sewed together, covered themselves, hide themselves from God. They were no longer, they were, there was something between them and God than just pureness and innocence. See it? The, the baby in the bathtub that doesn't care that he's naked and then at 16. Right? Look, and you see, the thing about this is, look, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. You see that? You look at those things that are tempting you, and they look beautiful. It looks delicious. It seems like it's got wisdom in it. There actually is wisdom in it. It's just that the price is so high. It would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And the problem is, we look at these things and we choose them, and then we suddenly realize something that we didn't know was there. We see the thing that we didn't know was there. He got us to, he got us to eat the truth and to ingest the lie. 
And now we're in the consequence. And it's not, it's not okay. It's a death. In fact, to use our visual metaphor that we've been using today of a life, I want to show you, see, we think of it as, I made a mistake, and you did, and life still goes on, and it does, but there's something else that the Lord says about what happens in that moment when you choose to walk away from him, and that is that there's a death that takes place. So we're going we're gonna to run backwards the things of our life to go back to a fundamental place that we don't really recognize is happening to us, particularly if we don't know the Lord. We don't know that something's happening to us. And so all of this is running backwards, and you see what I mean, and all of this, and but now watch. What's really going on? This is an issue of life. The umbilical cord of life that God has been feeding into you as long as you've chosen to be with him. And listen to the heartbeat. For those who have had the tragedy of a miscarriage, this image is almost unbearable. This noise is almost unbearable. The thought of it's almost unbearable. What I want to say to us right now is, I want us to feel that. I want us to understand that death, the tragedy of that death, the possibilities, the potentials, the thing that was there that is not now. We are, before we choose to go our own direction, umbilically tied to the Lord, even though we're a child and so on. He's feeding us life, feeding us life, feeding us life, feeding us life. Feeding us. Now watch what happens. When you cut the umbilical cord, there's still quite a bit of life left in you, right? And so it plays out. But the problem is it's not being replenished. There's not more coming in. And so over time, you're spending what's been put in you and you're starting to chew it all up. And then there comes a point at which you start to realize there's a death. It's that elderly person being able to look back at their life and say, I see that there was a death now. I see that I made a choice. And I see that there was a whole thing that could have happened and it doesn't. Now, that's not to say that God isn't in the middle of it. God can't do extraordinary things with you. It's not to say once you, once you have this happen, you'll never be anything but second best. To the contrary. You don't understand redemption, and you certainly don't understand resurrection if you think that. But the key to it, the thing that I need us to own, and we need to own right now if we're going to get what God's trying to do to us right now, is we need to own that at that moment where that death is, you still feel it for a long time. I always liken it to a car battery because you know it takes a long time for a car battery to go dead. But when it does, you can't turn on the engine anymore. And how many people have just, you know, gotten to a place to where they'd made their own choices and cut it off and they hey, I'm still okay. I'm still living. I'm still fine. It's still okay. But then time goes on and time goes on. And all of a sudden you start realizing something's missing. Something of life is not replenishing. And then years later, if you continue in it, you look back and you say, oh my God, what did I give up here? What did I lose? God's bigger than what you lose. Always remember that. There's always hope in him, but do you see it? Excuse me. What we need, what we need is to get the heart going again. Excuse me, because I don't have the, okay, just a sec, sorry. That's why we're here today. 
is because all of us recognize, or if you don't, I love you, but there's this death that has taken place and so something needs to happen. The something that needs to happen is that Christ needs to take our sin upon himself. He needs to take the consequences for our actions. The things that we did, he needs to take them upon himself or otherwise you're gonna pay for it. You made a choice to go away from God and if he doesn't take it, somebody's gonna take it and you're the one that's left. And if you take it, then you're the one who's going to go into the grave and be held by death because the penalty for sin is death. And what that simply means is you have separated yourself from life and you're going to live in a place that is absent of life. That's hell. And so we need something to happen and the thing that happened was Christ on the cross. And what he's doing here is he's becoming, now, I use this image a lot and too much because it almost becomes too familiar to you, but I want you to see something. Yesterday somebody said it's almost too gruesome. It's almost like comically gruesome, but I want you to see something. What I see when I look at this is I see the sin of every single person that has ever lived from all the way back to all the way forward. Every single person that has ever lived, everything that they did and their consequences has come upon him, and in that, he dies. He's taken everything, every sin, every person throughout history is committed, goes on to him. He becomes that sin and it kills him. And he is put into a grave. But the cool thing about Easter is it doesn't end with the cross. The cool thing about Easter is, is that what happens is, now watch this, this is so cool. See, the penalty for sin is death. But what if you committed no sin? Well, then you don't die. But wait a minute, Jesus became sin, so he was sin, so he goes to death. But guess what sin is? Sin is not doing what God is asking you, leading you to do. And here's the truth. God is the one who said, become sin. So when Jesus became sin, he wasn't being disobedient. He wasn't himself sinning. He became our sin because God wanted to take our sin upon himself, but he himself not only did not sin in that moment, it was the ultimate moment of him receiving God's will. If this cup can pass through me, if there's any other way, nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. And sure enough, in this moment, he takes all of that upon himself and he dies and Satan's singing, big victory. I got him. I can hold him in death, right? But here's the problem. Jesus gets it and he says, you can't hold me. I haven't sinned. You don't have a hook in me. Even in my becoming sin, I was being obedient. <laughs> I was doing the will of the Lord. And so death cannot hold him. And so what happens is, think about the tomb. What we are in our sin is entombed. If you've gotten all the way through life, then you are entombed forever. But it turns out not, because Christ on the cross went down to every person that had ever looked forward to him on the cross through sacrifice and so on. And Christ came down and he said, you come with me too. <laughs> not only can I not be held here, but I just paid for your sins so you don't have anything else to pay for down here. So you come with me. You. Rise again. <laughs> right, the graves were open. God was communicating right there on that day. The dead are coming back to life. And that's the dead who have died and gone to their graves, and it's the one of us, ones of us that are walking around having cut the umbilical cord. And what God is trying to say to us is, you are no longer dead. So stand up. Rise up. Walk into a life. The old stuff's still there. is Easter. And what Easter makes possible for us precisely in terms of our illustration is this. There's death. 
whether you know it or not, there is. But when you receive Christ, when you receive his risen nature, when you receive his risen life, you come back to life. <laughs> right? The umbilical cord is reattached. You're being filled. Right? Now I want to say something. Happy Easter. Go home. We're great. That's a great Easter message right there. That's what Easter's all about, right? Oh, man, you're going to miss the best part. And I always thought that was the best part. Because <laughs> that's a pretty good part. <laughs> but think about it for a second now. We've been looking at the journey of a life, and a life doesn't end at separation, right? And then some sort of rebirth. That's not where a life ends, is it? In terms of the pattern of your life and what he's trying to communicate, what comes after separation when you go to isolation? What comes next? When you're isolated, what do you say to yourself? The same thing God said to Adam when he saw him. He said, it's not good that he's alone. When you're alone in the world, what do you say? When you realize you become your own person and you find out, I don't like this being alone junk. What do you want? To be joined to somebody. And I want to say right now, the, 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 the embryo picture is if you've lost somebody, but I want to say something. This is one that's particularly hard on my heart. The number of particularly women, but men too, that desire to be married and are not. It kills me, and it is so not what God wants. He wants everybody to experience oneness. What comes after being isolated? getting together choosing now now watch you're not a child innocent naive you've done that stuff you've become isolated you've realized evil and now what you've done is you said in a world that is filled with evil and good this person is good <laughs> right this person brings me what life see the parallels with God He's saying, you've got free will. Make your choices, right? Learn what it is. Your eyes are open now. Now that you've seen it, now that you've become aware of what's out in the world, do you see me? Do you see who I am? Choose me <laughs> so that you're not alone because it's not good. Do you see it? And thank God, well, but... <sighs> Let's get, I'm sorry. I just need to make sure. I don't want to make mistakes, okay? Yeah. Okay. We're right, we're right to the whole point of this. God wants to take us to a, to a, to a place where we go from being the father's child to the son's bride. Now, if you're a Christian, you've heard about being the child of God so much and the bride of Christ so much that it doesn't mean that much to you anymore. You know that it's true. You're very thankful for it. It's wonderful. It's awesome. Thank you, God. You celebrate Easter because it makes it possible. But I need you to do something here. I need you to get out of your perception of what it is to be the father's child and the son's bride, and I need you to go to his because I need you to see something deeper. What is it to be the father's child when you're the father and you have a child? What is it? What's the nature of the relationship? It's wonderful, isn't it? It's incredible. It's the playing around and the streamers and the, and the fun and the glory and all this kind of stuff. Isn't it incredible? It is, but is it the best? I want you to start thinking about this. When you go from being the father's child, you know what he's saying to you is? He's doing a progression here. He's saying you start as the father's child. But what I'm trying to do with you is I'm trying to make you understand that I desire you to be my mate. I desire you to be essentially my equal. I desire to be one with you as a bride and a groom or one with one another. You see it? Let me put it this way. The garden was cool, right? The garden's a great place, right? It's awesome, right? Let me show you something that's better. Heaven. <laughs> you 
The garden is a physical place. Heaven is a spiritual place. The garden is limited in all of the ways that physical things are limited. The spirit is unlimited. The spirit is glorious. Heaven is glorious in ways that, that the physical garden could never, ever be. Now, if you're really tracking with what I'm saying, and there's a lot of smart people in here, and one of the things that the really smart theologians are saying in here right now is something they're saying, Kurt, are you saying that God intended for us to fall because it would make us more aware so that we would make that choice? And I want to make this clear right now. Absolutely not. I'm not saying that. And here's why I'm not saying that. What parent of you would ever desire for your child to make a choice that would kill them? Would you? So God did not do that because he's not that kind of God. He doesn't play tricks. When he created us in the garden, he gave us real free will and we could have chosen to not go our own way and be separated from him. And we would have gone through all the phases of life that we're talking about right now. We would have come to some other kind of awareness. We do not know. It's not the road less traveled that we're talking about. It's the road untraveled. We do not know how he would have brought us to this more mature understanding of who he was so that we could have entered into a different kind of relationship than child to father, but as one to another. We don't know how he would have done that absent the fall. What we do know is, is that we fell and that God is bigger than our fall. And that right there ought to be something that you say amen to, <laughs> right? Because thank God that he's bigger than our fall. He is not just a, watch this, he's not just a redemption God. Here's what redemption is. I sold my ring to the store because I needed money, and then I went back and bought it back, and so I now have the same ring that I had. That's redemption. Here's what resurrection is. Something bad happens, and because of it, something happens that couldn't have happened without that. Or let me be more accurate theologically. Something happens that is so gloriously surpassing of the thing that was before that it's, you say, praise God. Here's the worst thing that could have ever happened. God would create mankind and then come to them to communicate what? When God comes and walks among us, what's he trying to communicate? He wants to be with us, <laughs> right? I'm not trying to be God in heaven and you down here even if it is a kind of heaven, but I'm in another room because, you know, I really can't stand you. Or I really can't be close to you because, you know, you're such a schmuck. Right? What he's trying to do is he's trying to say, I want to be right in there with you. I want to be with you. So he comes to be with us, and what we do to our creator is we, we, we joyfully respond to his act to be with us by killing him. <laughs> I mean, what a ridiculous thing. It's unbelievable. It's the worst thing that could have ever happened, and had it not happened for fallen beings, we would never be able to be one with him. Because as glorious as it is for two people to become one, God has something more glorious. Right? He has a oneness in us that surpasses everything you've ever thought of or even imagined. So now I'm coming back to this point, and I'm really hoping, watch this. We go from being the father's child to the son's bride, so what does it mean from going from his child to essentially his equal? Now, just got to track with me good theologically here. You are not equal to God. You will never be equal to God. Anybody who thinks they are equal to God is making the same sin that Satan did, where God gave a part of himself to that person, to that angel, and that angel said, hey, I'm like God, worship me. Don't make that mistake. You are not equal to God, period. You should never be worshipped. Why? Because the one that should be worshipped is the one that can do something for you. I can't. <laughs> right? But here's the point. From God's perspective, he's making you his equal. He's literally pouring himself into you like Geppetto to Pinocchio. He's raising up the wooden figure so that that person can... He's not make, bringing himself to woodenness. He's bringing woodenness to life. He's bringing us to be the kind of equal that can marry. You see it? Now, I hope that there's something happening in you right now. 
Because I can tell you what happened to me was, as I was out on my walk, and Roger, a couple of weeks ago in this, from this pulpit said, you know, I said yes to doing a sermon. I didn't want to do it. I said yes to it, and then I sat down to write it, and God just started downloading stuff. That's going to become a concept around here. Because I've always known that that was there, but I've never put words to it like he did. And I've never given it such great articulation like he did, where he just said it was just God downloading stuff to me, and it's all I could do to keep up. And here's what happened to me on Monday. And I've been working on this sermon for months. I was actually a little worried about it, because it was the last week, and I was going, there's something I'm not getting at all. I don't understand what it is, and you better tell me, because it's getting kind of close. <laughs> And this is the reason why Scott Fisher had to do so much work this last week, because when he gave it to me, I was like, oh, Scott, we got so much more to do than I thought. <laughs> but I want you to hear something about the download. I want you to hear what happened to me when all of a sudden God, through the process that he'd been doing and downloading to me, all of a sudden he made me realize what it was to be a bride of Christ. Because I want to tell you, I have been a bride of Christ for 40 years and I've never understood it. It's never meant to me what it meant, what it means right now. I always thought of myself as a child of God because I'm much more comfortable in that role. But I want you to see that what God thinks of you as, he's pouring himself into you to raise you up so that he can be one with you in the exact same way that he is with the Spirit the Son, and the Father. You see it? So I'm on my walk, and here's this moment that happened to me. It goes from I'm, being I'm talking father, into my phone. To the bride. He's not the bride, but you are. You go from being the Father's child to the Son's bride. Oh my God. Oh, my God. And it's an intimacy that surpasses the one that was before completely. I go from being a child in the kind of naivete, innocence, ignorance, to being somebody who fully does know good and evil. And now I see something good. And I say, I want to be with him. He's the good. He's the one I want to be with. He's the one I want to be made one with. And that's what I do. And here's what he's doing. Oh, my God, you want to be one with me here? Let me give you a whole bunch of yourself so that we can be one. <laughs> Let me raise you up. Let me do all kinds of things that you never even begin to think or imagine. Just like, there's, just like there's consequences and decisions that you don't know on the bad side, there's consequences and decision on the good side that you don't know. Because <laughs> you can't know them, because you didn't know them, because they're not there, they're not there until you do it. And anybody who's ever received Christ and who's ever chosen to go with Christ in critical moments of their life and then seen what God does... That's when you go, oh, I don't ever want to be anybody else's bride. <laughs> That's an affair. That is ugly. That is horrible. This is good. <laughs> this is awesome. This is great. This is everything. Now, I, I just want to tell you this next video, this is the brilliance of Scott and why I love working with him. Because what happened was, is I gave him a shot list that I wanted out of this particular shot right here. And he, I gave him a whole list of what we were trying to do and accomplish so that he would know what it was we were trying to accomplish so the feeling of it. And he picked something that was completely not even close to what I'd asked for. But he said, I think this is actually saying what you wanted to say better than what you had put down. And Scott, this clip alone is all on you. And I want to say it differently than that. You know how much I prayed for that young man that God would anoint him like Bezalel? That he would bring us what we needed? And I want to tell you right now, I believe that this is what the Lord wants to show you about what he's looking for in life with you. The oneness that comes with decades of time together. Come up a little closer here. Okay. This is special to me. I know. <clears throat> you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. 
You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. The other night, dear, as I lay sleeping, I dreamed I held you in my arms. But when I woke, dear, I was mistaken. So I hung my head and cried. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. another layer of the brilliance of that clip for what we're trying to say today it wasn't them singing the same melody he wants you to be distinct he wants to sing harmony with you you see it he wants to raise you up to where you're not his equal in the sense of that you could do it sinfully but that you are his image and that you're singing the unique line that you bring to the song he's trying to sing in your life. You see it? So I close with this. When a mother has a baby, that baby's heartbeat's going boom, 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 right? But when you put that baby onto the mother, even though it's still going about two or three times, some, somebody will know the actual answer to that, but it's going much faster than the mother's heart, the mother's heart and the baby's heart will sync up. And I want to suggest to you that what God wants you to see this Easter, he wants to sync up with you. The heartbeat. The heartbeat isn't about the big stuff. The heartbeat is the every stuff. All of the little things. All of it. Two heartbeats. But when they come together, the heartbeats sink. Here you are all alone in the world. And God comes. And when he comes, there's another heartbeat. And he wants to bring your heartbeat into sync with his. Because that's life. Reach down in front of you and pick up those two cups that are there. Take the bottom cup, which in which is the bread, and understand something. If you do not know the Lord, then this idea that you've broken your life by the way that you've made choices may not be clear to you. I can tell you if you're more advanced in experience that you know exactly the ways that you've broke your life. When we're younger, we still have a certain thought that it may turn out okay. We don't see till later what death really is. But the point is, is that if you don't know him, the fact is, is that in those ways that you've chosen to your own way and his, not his, you have broken something. For those of us who know Christ, we know that we've broken it. <laughs> because in his love and his grace, he's shown us how. And what we do here is we take our finger and we put it in there and we break it as an acknowledgement to say, I know how I broke my life. I may not know all the ways because there's a lot of them. <laughs> but I do know that I made choices that broke my life, that severed that cord between us. And that killed me. And so we thank Jesus for going to the cross. <laughs> that he would heal us. That he would take all of that upon himself and that in his brokenness we would be healed.
So we lift up this cup in which is you dying for me, you taking upon yourself. And in Jesus' holy and most spectacular name, we say thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And thank you again. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we say thank you for healing us. If you don't know the Lord, what a perfect time to say, God, thank you. I don't even know exactly what it means, but I do know. There's, the Lord has moved in my heart to receive the story of a life and to see it in a new light that it's trying to tell me something about what you want, about what you have. And so I say, I get it. And I do receive what Jesus did for me. And so all of us together take this brokenness that leads to healing. More accurately, this healing that is in that brokenness. And now we lift up this cup in which is God the life. The life is in the blood. We saw it over and over here as a physical image of a spiritual truth. The life is in the blood. And Jesus, your blood was shed that I might have new life. And so we lift up this cup in which is this new life. And if it's your first time, take it joyfully. And if it's your thousandth time, take it joyfully. And take into yourself the life that he's already had already got, already done what he wants to give. Jesus' name, take this cup together. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. You are risen. Let him rise in your hearts. Ushers, can you come forward?